Uh, we are closing out um, our series on the prayer of Jabez. Uh, if you have a church background, you have some history with the prayer of Jabez and uh, books that are written about it and, and really um, had a series of years in the late 90s, early 2000s, where it was really kind of made its splash in the Christian world as being uh, more towards a prosperity gospel. You have enough faith and God will make your life free from pain. He'll bless you, give you all this stuff. Um, and that kind of went downhill for a lot of people because a lot of people didn't experience that life. Um, so when we when we first got this assignment for this three week series in in First Chronicles four ten, so that's one verse. We're thinking like, my goodness, three weeks in one verse, but we'll we'll make it work. Um, and I've I've loved where the Lord has uh, brought it and how we've been able to kind of deconstruct it to actually make sense of what was the purpose and who was this Jabez um, and who did he think he was to be able to um, ask God for such a, such a thing as he did. The first week we had David Pepper up here and he was opening the series with discussing uh, the kingdom of having like this mood of expansion. Um, this idea that, that, that uh, God blessed the request of, of Jabez because Jabez is like, Lord, um, my people are heading into Canaan. We're, we're, we're told that we're going to conquer Canaan. We're going to conquer the Canaanites. There's giants in the land, but we're going in there. And so God, would you, uh, would you just expand my borders? And we see that there's this mood, there's a sense when it comes to kingdom things that, that is this expansion um, idea. We see this in so much of the New Testament. Jesus says like things like, uh, you'll do greater things than I've done. He says um, um, that, uh, that you go into all the world. You know, go into all the world and make disciples and uh, other things like, like Paul prays in the New Testament, like, God, would you open the eyes of my heart? Like, help me understand not just the things in my mind, but like expand my understanding to the things of God. And if we're walking with the Lord, we know that our faith is ever expanding. And so we see that that, that is a part of kingdom life. Last week, uh, Dale talked about how Jabez was writing the story of God's glory. And I love that that idea there, how, how we can too, when our lives um, are freed from sin and, and we begin walking out the promises by faith. We, we can participate in writing the story of God's glory. Like that's a pretty cool idea. And, and we'll get into, um, if you just had the thought of like, well, I'm not sure that my life can really write the story of God's glory. Welcome. You're in good company because we're going to look at that, uh, that tension there this morning. Today, we're going to discover why Jabez even had the audacity to make such a request um, so let's dig into First Chronicles 10 uh, or 4.10, and then we'll, um, we'll unpack some things and then get into some application. The, the verse, uh, verse 10 says, Jabez called upon the God of Israel saying, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border and that your hand might be with me and that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he'd asked. Well, we know the name Jabez was given to him as, as being a, a, a representation of the pain he caused his mother at birth. It was well known that he caused her great pain. And so, so Jabez actually means um, the causer of pain. Now, for those of us that have kids, it's not just an ancient history. Like we think, oh yeah, I'm going to name my kid this and they're going to be this great mighty warrior and I'm going to name her this and she's going to represent this in her life. And, and we, we want good things for our kids, we, but we, a lot of times we'll name our kids based off of this meeting or anything else like that. Um, so it's not, it's not just them that did that, but imagine being named the causer of pain. Like, think he... he probably had some mommy issues growing up. Like, 
Oh, I am always reminded, Jabez, you're the causer of my pain. Like that, it's not super encouraging. And I'm sure there, there leads to, there tends to be this, this idea that, man, I, I, I'm tired of being that. Like no one wants to be known as someone who just enjoys causing people pain and, and is actually named after that. So what we, so, so him being aware of this, um, he comes into first Chronicles 10, they're getting ready to take the land. And he's like, and he asks God for a blessing of making him powerful in the land that he's going to conquer, which seems pretty audacious, right? Like God, make me powerful, make me powerful. And we look at people who, who kind of grab for power. And if they're not like a real servant hearted, that's a real dangerous thing for someone, a tyrant to have power, right? Um, we experience that oftentimes in, in, our, in our political environments and in our, our business environments, corporations, all that stuff. Like, like man, power, power can corrupt or, or power reveals corruption sometimes. And so we, we tend to back off and like, well, why would Jabez, what's his real intention? Why, why isn't he just content with what God gives him? Why has he got to ask for more? And so it's a little audacious, but then he goes a step further and, and he says, not only that, God, but will you keep uh, me from pain? Like, wait, what? You want power and you don't want like to work for it. You don't want to have to go through, you know, you don't want to have to climb the, the ladder for this pain. Like you don't want to go through any pain. You just want this almost this spoiled child type of, of request that he's making. And, and so it's hard for us to look at this and be like, my goodness, I don't even understand. I mean, this is kind of contrary to what Jesus says. Like Jesus says, we're going to suffer. He says, like, in this life, take heart. You will have many troubles, but, like, I've overcome the world. If they hated you, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Like, these sorts of statements we read in the New Testament. And then we're like, well, why is Jabez praying this? Well, was Jabez not experiencing sickness and the injustice? Was he not experiencing pain even in the midst of his journey? Like these are the called people of Israel coming out of Egypt. They've, they've understood the pain. They've understood being, uh, being a, a slaved, enslaved people. And they've been given opportunity after opportunity. Like Jabez is not uh, unfamiliar with the debauchery of the Israelite people. Like every chance the Israelites got, they were, they were prostituting themselves out to their neighbors. They were, they were disgracing the name of God. They were grumbling and complaining like like this is Jabez's people what gives him the right to ask God for this type of request but here's the thing God answers it he actually gives Jabez what he's asking for Jabez actually isn't asking to be free from pain though it's interesting and this is where this is where the prosperity gospel took a wrong turn with this what Jabez the word harm here isn't speaking of physical pain it's actually spiritual. It's actually evil. He's saying, he's saying, Lord, keep evil from me as you give me influence, as you give me opportunity, as you give me power, as you expand my borders, Lord, because they know they're going in to a land blessed by God, that they're going to be conquering giants and conquering military uh, 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 formations and lands. And they're going in and he's saying, God, I am tired of being the cause of pain. I do not want my name to be associated with causing pain. So he's saying, please keep me from this, keep me from harm. Keep me from this, this evil doing that as you expand my borders, I can go forward with being a healer, not a, a causer of pain two totally different approaches to what he's asking here. He's asking God to divinely intervene and give him the authority and power, but to do so by allowing him to be the type of leader that doesn't cause pain to the people because he's familiar with those types of leaders. 
And we see an incredible character of Jabez exposed here. And this is actually why God answers his prayer. Jabez called upon the name of the God of Israel. This causer of pain called upon the God of Israel saying, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border. Yes, that your hand would be with me, your hand of righteousness, the, the ability. So, so Jabez is also confessing his inability. Like he knows the promise. He knows that they're promised this land. But here's Jabez that, that has some military um, uh, background, some, some, some uh, exposed to military endeavors here. And, and he understands that they're going to conquer. But even he recognizes, Lord, you have to bless me. God, you have to be the one to bless me and that you would keep me from evil. And the, the language here is, actually that you would keep me from causing harm, that you would keep me from being an evil one to these people that it might not bring me pain. See, the pain he's talking about, again, is not physical, it's emotional. Imagine being the guy always known as the one who's causing pain. Like, could you imagine that's a little despairing sometimes? Like, well, what good am I? I'm always going to be someone who's, who's ruining people's lives, who's causing pain. And since my birth, I, I was just born to be this guy. And here Jabin's like, man, I'm entering into something new. And I know it's a promise, but I can't do it myself. So God, you've got to bless me and please keep me from causing pain. This character of Jabez is what God saw. It's incredible. And this is what led Jabez to make a request like this. Now, Jabez was from the tribe of Judah and, and, and therefore a recipient of the land. Okay, so, so he had this. Now, the question is, <clears throat> what does a prayer like this have anything to do with us? I mean, we, we're, not, we're not from the tribe of Judah. We're not promised a, a piece of land in Israel. So like, what, how are we supposed to pray so that we can actually, un, like we can receive the blessings of God. Like what is this? How can we take this text and apply it to our lives? Well, I want to first look at three things. One, what we were, okay, our past, what we are, our present, and what our future will be. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter two. If you have your apps or Bibles, um, swipe or turn there. And we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to be reading 1 through 10, but we're just going to kind of go through some of it and and unpack it a little bit as we go. So we'll start in verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead, this is the Apostle Paul writing, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of the disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So you're thinking like, well, okay, I'm never, I, I mean, who is this type of person to, to come to God and ask for expanded borders and blessing? Like, God's not going to expand the borders of a tyrant like this. God's not going to expand the borders of, of someone who is who's following the prince of the power of the air, the, the darkness, the, the evildoers, the passion, the, those that carry out passions of their flesh, the desires of the body. Like those are the people we put in prison, not put in power. And we see this and, and we're going, okay, well, well, how do we ever approach God if this is, if this is us? I mean, this passage, Paul is clearly showing us like we are completely dead. Our condition was hopeless. Like a, a dead man can't help himself. They are, they're dead. Can he repent and change his ways? No, he's dead. Can he, can he increase his moral behavior? No, he's dead. 
This is why we follow our passions. The following is not the problem. The problem is what we're passionate about. We're passionate about evil. Does that make sense? Like we are, we were before Christ, outside of Christ, we are passionate for evil. Sometimes that looks different for us, but the reality is the conditions of our heart is we are passionate for evil. Our, our condition was hopeless. So what, what do we have any business praying for God's blessing? We're powerless. God is a life-giving source. So in spiritual death, we are separated from God, rightly so. By nature, we are children of wrath. But in verse 3, <clears throat> Paul says, this, this, he, he expounds on this by nature, by our very nature, we were born into this condition, this precarious condition. Psalm 51.5 says, David says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's not saying that the act of conception made him a sinner. He's saying he inherited that sinful nature. Nobody has to teach a baby to be selfish, right? Like, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe two weeks to a month, you start seeing like, oh, this baby's got a little attitude. This baby's a little selfish. Like, wow. And that only grows. Like they grow in their wisdom of, of, of their, their selfishness. And then that selfishness turns into fighting and violence. And then you add some siblings into the mix. All of a sudden now you have two selfish little babies. And it's not like, it's not like they're, they're not being modeled by those who, who care whether you're stay-at-home dad or stay-at-home mom. Like you are pouring yourself out for this child and they're sitting there looking. And it's not like they're going, man, mom. You give so much of yourself to me, and I, I feel like I need to model that back to you. Like, no, they're actually like, they double down on it. Like, they double down on their selfishness and their, their, their greediness, and you try to give me, like, I'm generous with you. I give you my time. I want this. I want that. All that stuff, and you have to, you have to help them learn, like, hey, this is not how we operate in peace in our family, but we don't teach them that. That is how they are in their very nature. This is why the, the nature of humanity is so broken, because in our very centers, in the core of who we are, we are selfish. We are liars. We are hateful. We are murderers in our hearts. We are we are, are, are envious and covetousness. Like this is at the very core of our being, no matter how you have learned to cover that without Christ, that is still a part of who we are without Christ. Some sinners are more sophisticated than others though. Maybe we're addicted to pride or power. Maybe, maybe not drugs, maybe not visible things. Maybe, maybe, we're, maybe we're addicted to the things we hide and try to mask as though we're moral. Maybe, maybe some sins are more visible than others, but nonetheless, every one of us, every one of us has lived in this state of, of hopelessness. And I don't, I don't say that to leave us in this state of hopelessness. I, I need us to understand that, that what we are being saved from and what we're being saved to there's a big difference of just getting saved from hell. And the reality is no one, whether atheists or not, it doesn't matter. No one wants the idea, wants the concept of hell. No one volunteers for torture. Some weird twisted things in society allow for that. But in the reality, they're still after pleasure. So no one wants to be like, I want permanent torment forever. So, so you don't have to be a Christian to want to be saved from a place, a concept like hell. And Jesus is coming in and saying, hey, actually, I'll save you from that because I know that's not your desire, but I'm saving you to something, not just from something. 
This is why Jesus is absolutely central to everything. See, Paul here has given us a sobering account of our state outside of grace. That we're no better than anyone else. We're utterly unable to please God. We're considered his enemy. And yet, in our destitute, our aloneness, and under his wrath, he says, while you were my enemy, I loved you. In fact, it's not the shame of our sin that leads us to repentance. In fact, the scripture teaches us that it's the love of Christ that compels us to repentance. It is the love of Christ. See, the shame can keep us being like, oh my goodness, yes, I know I'm bad. And I think everyone here would admit we've done some shady things in our lives or, or had some shady intentions of our hearts if, if depending on what side of the, the, the uh, train tracks you grew up on. But nonetheless, we have all been in this place. And so, of course, we recognize like, yeah, I, I'm deserving of some punishment and some, some discipline from this, but I don't know that I'm deserving of the blessing of God. So we live in this middle place where we're like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to hell, but man, I definitely don't think I'm, I'm deserving of the blessing of God. And that's what Paul's saying here. And then Paul goes to our present condition. For those of us whose faith is in Christ and our, our hearts believe Christ. In verse four, we come to a pivotal turning point and he says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that none of us can boast. That none of us can boast and have a, part, part, uh, a, a partaking of that work. We were trapped by the devil. We were deceived. We were by nature children of wrath. And here's the most two, two pivotal words in all of our lives. <clears throat> but God. Imagine if this had ended at verse 3. Like, shoot, we just got to all race. And it's, it's like the idea, like, you don't, have to, you don't have to be the toughest guy in the woods. You just need to be the fastest because you got to outrun your friend if a bear's chasing you. It's the same thing, like, well, we just got to do a little bit more to stay out of hell and, and maybe hope that one day we can get, we'll be good enough. Jesus will, will give us a little bit of leeway so that we can do this. And, and if I just had a second chance at life, then, then I could improve my morality. And it just doesn't happen. And we don't understand what we're being saved to, <clears throat> but God. Paul gives us three reasons in verses four and five why we can, like Jabez, have the audacity to ask that he would bless, that his hand would bless us in this life, that, that we could actually take the influence, take the giftings, take the opportunities we have and say, God, I know my potential is to cause pain to people. I know that my selfishness will overtake. I know that my greed, I know that my, my, <clears throat> my power will overcome me. So Lord, as you ought, give opportunity, and again, we're about the kingdom expansion and, and, and we're seeing things happen. God, keep me from being the causer of pain. <clears throat> we need to recognize our inability to be able to do that outside side of God. 
So Paul gives us three reasons why we can. One is the fact that God is rich in mercy. I mean, you think about about what God has access to, the budgets of life, if you will, the budgets of love, the budgets of, of the fruits of the spirit. You think like he is rich in mercy, that he lavished on us grace at the, at the cross. That it, it was like this, this idea of like, he is so over, uh, 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 overdoing it with love, overdoing it with grace and overdoing it with mercy. And he's rich, he's filthy rich in mercy. And mercy simply means like, we don't get what we deserve. It's not like God said, well, I'm just gonna forget about your sins. No, all that got poured out on Christ. So it came at a cost. It just wasn't a cost to us. And so often we look at this idea and we say, man, I got to still pay something, don't I? Like, there's no way God could be happy with me. I got to be a disappointment to him. What can I do? What can I pay him to kind of earn my way in favor with God? But he's rich in mercy. In fact, Psalm 136 says, for his mercy endures forever. Like in Christ, we are destined for that eternal glory, for that ever expanding kingdom life. And when we come to the Lord, man, we, we don't understand anything. I, I know of a pastor who was, <laughs> when he first got saved, he spent like seven years tithing off of his Coke proceeds. And then this guy became a, a major pastor, a major mover in the kingdom and, and led so many lives to the Lord. And, and he's like, I can't believe it took me seven years to realize that's kind of messed up. You know what? That was his discipleship journey. And once he realized that, it was like, oh my goodness, what am I doing? (laughs) So this is is the journey. I'm not saying do that, by the way, (laughs) just to be clear. What I'm saying though is we're on our journey and the Lord guides us and he convicts us and he brings truth to us and he helps us grow in our understanding of what this faith means, but he's saving us to himself. He's not just saving us from torment. He's saving us to himself. Just like he saved Israel from Egypt, he saved them to his, his, himself. Second is that he loves us with a great love. Verse four says, because of the great love with which he loved us. See, love doesn't have to have a reason. Like genuine love doesn't have a reason. A lot of times our human uh, a perspective of love is more like a, uh, an exchanging of like, hey, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back and we'll call it love. And I'll keep scratching your back as long as you keep scratching my back. But the minute you stop scratching my back, we're done. Jesus says, love as I have loved. That's what he said. The greatest commandments are that you love God with everything in you and that you love others as he loved us. And the way he loved us means he needed nothing and he took nothing from us. He just poured out of himself to the greatest cost that that humanity can take or that can make. That's the calling. That's the level of love that he calls us to. And this is the great love with which he loved us. We are God's workmanship. We're his masterpiece because of this love that he sent to us. Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8 says, it was not because, speaking of Israel, when he, when he was bringing them out of uh, Egypt, he says, it's not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and, choo- and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples, but it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. See, in the same way, the Lord says to you and me, you you are mine because I love you. You're not great. Like if God God was looking at this from a human standpoint, he's like, I'll take the Egyptians. They're powerful. They're well-known. They're successful on the outside. 
and I'll make them my people. I'll force them to be my people. But he takes Abram, he takes Israel, like the least of all the least. And this is a story, this is a repeated story of, of scriptures. He takes the least of the least. That's why Jesus came in on a donkey. That's why he was born in, in Bethlehem. That's why he came from no great place according to the world's standards. Because Jesus takes, God takes what's little and says, I'll, I'll show you, I'll flex for you. I will take what the world says is wise and I'll shame them and I'll give you real wisdom. I'll give you a life that the, that the world knows nothing about, because you, not because you deserve it, because, because of my love for you, that no man can boast. It's incredible. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, because of that, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. And thirdly, he gave us life with Christ. We were dead. What we needed was life. We didn't need rules. We didn't need moral, uh, 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 increase in moral behaviors. We needed new life. We needed absolutely new life. And this life is gifted to us by God through grace. And then Paul brings us to perhaps one of the most difficult identity statements we find in scripture. In verse 10, he says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're his workmanship? I mean, I don't know, like, unless you're really not aware of yourself, it's not very hard to be like, nope, that's not, that's not the way I describe. Like, if we didn't know the Bible said this and someone's like, how would you describe yourself? <laughs> I would consider myself a masterpiece by God. Himself, I would, I would be the workmanship of his, of his beautiful, perfect hands, who's crafted. What? Like it's, it's crazy to even think of that. There's a possibility that this is actually how God says He sees us. That this, I mean, this is an identity statement that I'm like, this makes me uncomfortable. None of us would call ourselves God's masterpiece. We wouldn't use those terms to describe ourselves, right? Like, man, I'm on my knees. Like, I'd be happy if I just crawled into heaven at this point. Like, I, I, man, I, this masterpiece idea. But maybe that's also why we don't approach God. Maybe that's why so much of our faith is actually spent in this longing relationship when we sing songs that we long for these truths to be true, but we're not actually experiencing them. Maybe when we read statements in, in scripture about the power of God, the, the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy and the, the newness and the adoption of sons that we're like, ah, oh, man, I'm actually, I actually, if I was honest, I feel like a slave at best, a slave that can't even perform well enough for a master. We wouldn't consider ourselves masterpieces. In fact, most of the time I feel like a rat's nest of a mess in a masterpiece. So what are we to believe? Well, the truth is, if God's declared it and said it, that you and I are, are his masterpiece, that we are his workmanship, then, then as scripture also says, let God be true and every man be made a liar. In other words, if God says something and you don't feel like it's true, that's not on God, that's on you. That's a belief system that needs to change. My mind is lying. And even though I don't understand it a lot of times, the truth is that I'm his workmanship. That's, that's a weird thought. Do you think about that often? Like I live in the place of like, man, I gotta be a disappointment. 
I got to be like the, the, the marble that, that, that is trying to be chiseled and formed and I just keep cracking all over the place and they toss it out and get another slab and try to form like, I'm not, I'm, I never feel like that, that I am actually that masterpiece that God's like, oh, I got this. Oh man, this is exactly what I wanted to do. But according to verse 10, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So wait, God has this vision for you and I personally that he says, hey, before the foundations of the world, like I have these good works that I want Josh to do. And I'm not gonna even put the burden on him to carry those out. I'm actually gonna create him from birth to have these passions, to have these abilities, to have this, this tendency to communicate this way or this, this passion or emotion or whatever else about this topic or about this subject so that I can have him fulfill what I actually created him to do anyway. And so often I look at like the, the Dales and I'm like, well, I'm not, I don't have my doctorate. Like, okay, I just got to get my doctorate. Then, then I'll be used by God. It's like, no. God created Dale to, to have a passion from an early age for, for ever-ending study of Scripture and, and presenting it and living it out and all these sorts of things. And you know what God did with me? He allowed me to walk in my misery and, and, and rebellion for a lot longer. The years I should have been pursuing a, <laughs> a higher education, you know what I was out doing? I was at the school of hard knocks. And, it was, and, and, I, and I chose this in my rebellion. I don't know what God would have done, but I know what God's intentions are for my life. Now, here's the thing. Whether you're getting your doctorate, whether you're, you're devoting your life to music or worship or leading or serving in certain capacities or, or first responding or, or, or politics or whatever else we want to get ourselves into, the reality is that we are unable to do it on our own. Even Jabez, he's like, I know the promise. I know what I've been created to, to inherit in this land. I am just unable to do it on my own. And this is the beauty of our Christian life is that we're called to do these things, but the, God doesn't even put the burden on us to accomplish them. It's incredible. And you know, it's interesting, this word workmanship or, or masterpiece um, in the Greek is pima, which is where we actually get our word poem from. And you think about it, like poems are an expression of the artist, whatever type of poetry it is, it's an expression of the artist. It's a communicated way of expressing what, what, you, what is inside of you. What is, and so you think of like when we are his workmanship, we are the poem of God's love. Like we are, we are this masterpiece that he's crafting and he's expressing to the world. He's putting a light in us and saying, hey, I'm expressing myself to the world in you. It's, it's a beautiful word here used, used to describe who we are. The author's heart is reflected in us. We also are told that we're created in his image. And maybe this is how God expresses his love towards us. Think of an award. This is a, just a trophy. It's my kid's um, trophy for State Cook-Off Association Junior Barbecue Champion right here. May 21st, 2022. We do cooking competitions or barbecuing competitions in the summer. It's a fun way and uh, to learn, actually. But um, they cooked a steak, and he, he won first place. Does this, does this trophy get the credit for cooking? 
Like when I mean whether whether you are whether you are an athlete, whether you're in uh, academics, whether you're uh, artist, performer, like when you accomplish something, you get something that represents the work you've done, right? But it doesn't get the credit for what you've done. It just represents what you've done. And you, you display it, you, you show off the work that, that that piece represents. The diploma you hang, you say, man, the, all the work that went into this, the, the time, the learning, everything, like this represents what I, have, what I have accomplished. You and I are simply trophies of God's grace. Like this trophy doesn't get, to, doesn't get the credit for his cooking. It represents what was done. Your and I's life, we're just trophies. But we don't represent our own work. We, we are God's masterpiece. He's saying, look, look what I've done. You represent something that I've done. And nothing is, is of, of greater value than when a person sees Jesus in us. Because think about when you've seen Jesus in someone else. Is there, is there really anything greater than that? And you've seen this. We, we reward uh, a patriotism. We reward sacrifice. And, and whether we want to acknowledge Christ in it or not, it doesn't matter. We reward the act of that level of love. And, and we know that that, that that desire that stems from the, from the heart of God himself. So when he's looking at us, he's like, I, I know you guys are a mess. Like, God's not surprised at our messiness. He didn't, he didn't, wasn't like, Josh, I'm going to call you into a life. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to teach you. And then, you know, a day later, he's like, oh, man, how do I take this back? I did not realize you were going to have that thought today. I didn't realize that you were going to, to not actually want to want to hang out with me today. Man, God's not surprised by our mess, but he's committed to it. He's committed to us because we are his to do with as he pleases. The, John Piper uses this, this idea that we are Christian hedonists, meaning that, that we are designed by our very nature to want to find the greatest pleasure of our lives. And it, I mean, we can, we can agree with that. Like we all want to, even in our service, even our sacrifice, it's, it's pleasing to do that, right? So, so whether, whether we, however it's played out, that, that's typically how we operate as humanity. And yet that very deep nature within us to want to do that is only found in Christ. I mean, it really our deepest satisfaction to or our deepest desires that can be satisfied are only satisfied in our relationship with God. That's why there's never enough sex, never enough money, never enough approval, never enough opportunity, never enough success, nothing. Because it's not designed that way, yet we're, we're called to want it. We're called to keep desiring this over and over and over again. And yet God is like, hey, come to me. And you know what I love about this is that God is always for God. God is always for his own glory. And if you or I were to do that, that would be arrogant and, and conceited. And it's like, I, that's not a good thing. I should not raise my family like kids. You're all about dad's glory here, okay? So behave, glorify me, all this stuff. That, that is a, a very unhealthy. But when we think about God being for his glory, that, that him being for himself and not just our happiness is the best way that we can find deep satisfaction on this earth. Is it, as Piper says, when we are most uh, satisfied in him, he is most glorified in us. That when, when we find that satisfaction in just being sons and daughters of God, that is when he's glorified in us. So we're simply trophies of God's grace. Has God called us to abound or expand in good works? He has. 
And he will continue to speak to us and help refine those things in us and help us grow in our understanding of that, that hopefully in seven years, we're not still tithing off our Coke proceeds. Like, okay, yeah, it's weird. And would have been great if that would have been a lot less than seven years. But you know what? He got there. God's com- God was committed to his journey. Ephesians 2.10 says we are his workmanship. So whether we feel like it or not, that's truth. Now, the same grace that brought us into that is the same grace that will also complete it. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So whose work is it? It's God's work. That's right. We cooperate with it, but he's the one doing the work. He's the one that gave you the passion to pursue whatever you're finding success in. He's the one that gave you the abilities to, to accomplish that, to walk those out. Too many Christians, and myself included, live at times as though our salvation is just a second chance to get it right. And of course, we're not going to get it right. We can have a thousand second chances and still be like, if this is how it has to go, I'm always going to, I have to be a disappointment to God. But what if salvation wasn't that at all? Our lives can tend to be all about performance rather than understanding that it's God's performance in us that bring him glory. Kingdom expansion takes place when our inability surrenders to God's will. You want to be a part of the kingdom? You want to understand? You want to, you want to hear from the Lord? The first place is, is to go where, where our inability surrenders to, to God's will. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. So take a seat with Jesus and let the master do his work. It doesn't mean we're ineffective. It doesn't mean we don't do anything. It means we have a sober judgment of ourselves. He's already created you specifically for the works that he set out for us to do, for you to do. So, And he's committed to us to accomplishing those things. So he's asking for our surrendered hearts, not just our performance. Jesus says in John 15, 4 and 5, he says, abide in me. And this word abide, we talked about this before. It means like to make your home with me, not an Airbnb, not a place to visit, but like make your home with me. And I and you as the branch, us, cannot bear fruit by itself unless it makes its home or abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine you are the branches. Whoever abides and makes his home in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Not produces fruit, bears fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing anyway. Instead of trying harder, why don't we just rest in the celebration of his love? Why don't we just, just focus on the, the idea that we are already his children? We are already adopted by him. Like We're not still in the orphanage. We're still not, we're not still waiting for someone to come love us. Like he has, he has lavished his love on us and nothing will move our hearts to please God more than knowing how committed he already is to you and I. There is nothing more motivating in your marriage that when you fully believe your spouse is committed to you no matter what. Isn't that right? Like you can try to please your spouse, but eventually you're gonna let him down. But when you know like, man, we're committed to one another. That's motivating. It's the same way in our relationship with the Lord. So instead of trying harder, just rest. 
Jesus says in Matthew 20, uh, 11, 28, he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly or humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We can endure a lot of physical exertion. We can do a, endure a lot of physical pain, but when our souls are weary, we're wiped out. And Jesus understands this. He understands the desire we have to, I just want to please, I just, God, God, why, why can't you love me? I'm just so tired of this. And, he's, and Jesus is literally talking to the religious people. He's like, you guys, it's, it's, it shouldn't be blinding to you. Like you're exhausted from this, this law of religion. You're exhausted from the, the, the guilt to, to serve, the guilt to please God. And Jesus is like, come to me. I'm going to give you rest for that soul, that, that part of you that just desires a belonging, desires rest. So come. And you know what happens when we just come to Jesus and we rest with him? He speaks. He guides. He heals. He gives vision. He renews our strength. Isaiah 40, 31. But they who wait or hope on their own efforts will renew their strength. No, it's not what it says. Those who work harder eventually will get there. Those who work harder will eventually find that rest. No, what, the, what he's saying is they who wait and hope for the Lord shall renew their strength. Not only shall they renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Nothing will move your heart to please God like knowing how committed he already is to you. I'll have the worship team come forward. See, Jabez believed he could ask God for those things because he, was, he knew his, his calling. He knew who he was as a chosen child of God. Did the Israel people get a lot of stuff wrong? Yeah. Like more deplorable stuff than, than I, I mean, take Abraham, for instance. He got kicked out of a pagan nation because he lied to the king and said that his wife was his sister. And the, 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 the king's like, Dude, that's really messed up. Like, get out of here. Even a pagan nation, like, these are, the, these are the types of people that God's like, I'll call you to be my nation. I'll work with you. The Davids who, who, who slept with his best friend's wife and then is like, crap, what am I going to do now? And went and had him killed. The, the Pauls of the New Testament who was going around murdering Christians, given permission for them to be imprisoned and, and be beaten and persecuted and all this stuff. And it's those people, it's those people, it's the people in Isaiah 61, the broken heart of the imprisoned that God's like, you know what, those who mourn, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you rest. I'm gonna give you gladness of your heart because I'm gonna take you, the broken, and I'm gonna make you into an oak of righteousness is what he says. He's not looking for those that have it together. Jesus says, I came for the sick. Matthew 5, all of, all of the, the Beatitudes, it's the poor in spirit. It's those who mourn. It's those who recognize like, man, we, we need help. But we have a father who died to help us. We have a God who died to save us, to be with us, to guide us, to heal us. And I think so often we just try to find that stuff outside of God. And as a loving father, he cannot allow us to find that satisfaction, to find that peace outside of him because he knows it's not going to last. God is about giving us lasting joy, not temporary happiness. So while God's desire is to expand his kingdom, 
The currency with which he moves is our surrendered inability. We come to God and we're like, God, I don't have the ability to heal myself. I don't have the ability to walk in the wisdom I need. I don't have the ability to make this decision for my company or this decision for my family. Or I, I, I just need you, Lord. So how will we step out in faith, believing that God will equip us for the things that he's called us to? By first understanding how loved and equipped we already are as his sons and daughters. But we don't need to equip ourselves. Like God, God's already set out for it. And whether you believe that now or not, it's okay. God will reveal it to you in time. But I'm telling you right now, my, 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 um, my suggestion would be to keep trying in your own effort. And when you're tired, when you're tired enough, we come to Jesus. He's like, I'll give you the rest that you're actually searching for. Second, by approaching him as his beloved children and asking him for direction. So often we want to go to pastors, we want to go to priests, we want to go to um, uh, uh, you know, think tanks and all these other things and consult our friends because we're just like, man, who am I to consult God? Like, who am I to actually ask this of God myself? I'm not saying that God doesn't speak through friendships or pastors or priests or anything else. What I'm saying, though, is that, that when Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, that we can actually live a life where we hear the voice of God in our lives. So we approach him as his children, not as his slaves. And third, we confess our inability to him in joy, not disappointment. Like, God, I must have let you down. I couldn't do this. No, no, we say, God, I can't do it. I need, I need your help. I need your help to love my wife. I need your help to love my children. I need your love to help me live this life that, that bears fruit. Like, I, I need your help, God. And then lastly is by obeying in faith when we do hear. Trusting that, that when God is whispering something to us, we got to put aside all of our inabilities, all of our experience, all of our own efforts, and we say, I'm going to trust this, and it's going to feel risky, but I'm going to trust it. So Lord, let us not confuse our identities and who we are with what we do, Lord. Father, um, I think of just this idea that we are your workmanship. Lord, what a, what a hard statement to understand when we look at all the failures in our life, all the people we've let down, all the people we can't seem to please. Lord, all, all of our own mistakes and everything. Lord, I, I, it's such a hard reality to accept. Yet, Lord, we know it's how you see us, God. And, so, and, and not just how you see us, but who we are. Lord, so help us to understand that we are yours. You're creating us. You're working in us. You're allowing us to go through things to form us more into, into what you've designed us to be, Lord, even when it's the painful things we have to go through, Lord. I think of um, Corinthians when, when he's talking about, um, when he's talking about we comfort others by the same comfort with which we are comforted by. And without going through that pain, Lord, we have no idea how to comfort others. Without going through the failures, we have no idea how to give hope beyond our performance, Lord. And let, yet, God, you are committed to us with a depth we'll, we'll never fully see this side of eternity. So, Lord, we thank you for being gracious to us. We thank you for being a God we can approach boldly as children and not slaves. So be made much of 
in our lives, Lord. Let us be satisfied with you and you alone. We ask this in your name. Amen. Would you stand as we close in worship?